great to watch the Lord at work because the way he creates and fashions and forms is so unique, yet it's so simple. How God ties things together and actually purposes into your life the things that will set you on course for the things that are to be. One of the things about the new year is that it gives us a sense of anticipation. How many feel that? Where we're anticipating something greater than what we've known. And I think that's really the nature of the Lord, if it's not our nature as well, that we are always anticipating something more than what we've known in the past. And so the process of anticipation though it's challenging because it also requires, in correlation with the anticipation of something new, it also requires the coordination of our will to see that transformation takes place. Because what God wills in heaven isn't always necessarily corresponding to what your will is. How many have understood that? For oftentimes we confuse those things by thinking that, well, if I'm thinking this or believing this, then God must also be on my side. (laughs) And if he's not, then too bad. I'm going to do it anyway, right? But the Lord has a way of transforming our minds. You know, Romans, we're very familiar with the scripture, says, be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. So Why? So that you may prove what is the good and the acceptable and the perfect will of God. So everything happens so that we can reposition ourselves to be right in the perfect will of God. And oftentimes the perfect will of God is contrary to our preconceived ideas of what it should be. In fact, most of the time it's contrary. And most of the time we resist it. Because... To be in the will of God requires a willingness upon our part to change. We know that there's there's only one constant that we can all rely upon is the Lord. He's the God that changeth not. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So I don't have to lose any sleep thinking about that God's going to change himself overnight and confuse me along the way. The only confusion that I have is the confusion I create for myself because of my inability to find his perfect will in any given situation. Because I'm always have to subject myself to be changed. You know, the scripture says that we go from glory to glory and from image to image. We're changed by the very presence of the Lord. So we, we all know that the more of him that we seek, the more of us is required to become conformed to that the thing that we're seeking. It's kind of a catch-22, isn't it? Well, I'm going to seek the Lord with all my heart, all my mind, and all my strength. Well, unfortunately, when you do that, it, it literally, you put yourself in jeopardy of God doing something for you that you didn't expect. That's part of Christmas, isn't it? We go and open a gift and we unwrap it and we're not expecting what to receive. 
But we're kind of predetermined because we know everyone's watching us. So we're determined that when we open that gift, we're going to respond properly no matter what it is. <laughs> and that's kind of the way we find ourselves with the Lord sometimes. Lord, I'm going to seek you with all my heart and all my mind and all my strength. And then you look, wow. Okay, thank you, Jesus. But you're crossing your fingers, you know. That's not really what I wanted for Christmas, but I'm thanking you and praising you. Hallelujah. So sometimes God gives us things that we don't really know that we need yet. Isn't it kind of neat that someone knows what you need, even when you don't know what you need? And they're willing to give you the thing that you don't know that you need. And then it takes a while later before you realize that what you got was really what you needed. It's kind of like when you first discipline your children when you're a parent. They don't really want that. And they don't really think they need it. (laughs) But later when they grow older, it says that the discipline is something they rejoice in. Because it's something that profited their life. So sometimes when you're resisted in life, sometimes when you feel like you're running up against a brick wall and you're only serving to bloody your own nose and bruise yourself up because you're trying to go through an immovable object, sometimes you don't realize that's exactly where God wanted you. Sometimes there's walls that cannot be moved. And we we beat against them. And then finally we say, Lord, okay, I understand that wall is there to serve a purpose for my life. See, there's only really two things that you really battle in in life, and that's you're either battling Satan or you're battling God. Well, actually three. Let's throw a third one. You're battling self. Most people, when they go into a battle, they always attribute it to Satan. And he's kind of a catch-all, isn't he? I mean, if something's going wrong in your life, I mean... He, he has a lot to be blamed for. But really, sometimes we blame him for more than he's responsible for. And he's probably thinking, man, I sure get a lot of credit, <laughs> you know, for things I didn't even do. And, and probably gives him some ideas on what to do next. <laughs> because he found your weak spot. He found that part of you that, that doesn't respond properly. It's your weak spot. How many have learned that you have a weak spot? Something someone says, something someone does, something happens and it causes a reaction to come out of you that exposes your weak spot. Well, so the nature that we have, we either feel like that Satan is resisting us, God is actually resisting us, but very seldom do we attribute it to ourselves. And actually, that's probably the biggest challenge. Because see... Satan's plan hasn't changed. He's come to rob, kill, steal, and destroy. God's plan hasn't changed. He's come to give you life and to give you life more abundantly. How many choose God's plan? Amen. But it's we that change. We're the ones that have to change. And unfortunately, in the human nature, we don't want to change. You know, we have a homeless thing in in Austin right now. Big issue is that it's kind of come to light. It's always been there, but now it's come to light. And Bless their hearts. The people that are homeless are in a bad place. But the reality is many of them can say, well, it's, I'm here because of this reason and this reason and this reason. And they may be, but many of them don't want to change. 
Many of them want to stay where they're at. Now, should they stay where they're at? No. Is it wise to stay where they're at? No. Should we do everything we can to help them not stay where they're at? Yes. We should have the compassion of Christ for these people. But ultimately, the decision is theirs. Amen? And the same thing with us. The decision is ours. What decision do we make? Now, how many believe in the principle of change? Transformation. So let's look at some principles this morning. The first thing, if you want to change, you have to make sure that in your heart there's a desire to change. Or would you rather sleep in your tent under the underpass? And no, no one's taking that wrong, right? I'm not criticizing those people. I'm just saying some people would rather sleep in a tent under an underpass than go to a warm shelter with food. I'm just stating the facts. We should give them the opportunity to go to the warm shelter with food, shouldn't we? We should extend a helping hand for that. We should encourage that. We should even prod that if possible. But ultimately, it's their choice. Do they want to go somewhere else besides that place? It's kind of like the choice the children of Israel had in the, in the wilderness. Or in Egypt, in fact. In Egypt, they were in bondage and in slavery for 400 years. Can you imagine being in a place of bondage and slavery for 400 years? Where that nothing you did really mattered for you. It only mattered for the servants, the, the people you serve. You were a slave. Nothing that you did profited you. It only profited your taskmasters. For 400 years, can you imagine? So God sent him a deliverer. He sent him a savior through Moses. And Moses declared that my people are going to be free. And in order for that freedom to come, it took a massive moving of God in order to get everyone's attention. It took all these plagues and things that tormented the Egyptians. And finally, even after all that, nothing happened until the angel of death came and the firstborn were, were killed. And the only ones that were saved, the ones that put the blood over the doorpost. And even after all that, that's finally when they said, okay, we're ready to move out. We're ready to go. Have, have you ever noticed in your life, sometimes it takes extreme things happening in order for you to make extreme decisions. Sometimes you, you, you get pressured to the point that you think, well, I know this is what I've got to do something now because everything else has changed. It's like Elijah, you know, when his brook dried up. Thought, oh, duh, it's time to change. It's time to move. Because the brook was a symbolic of the fact that God said, I'm getting your attention for you to do something new. So God is always desiring that we be conformed to his will. And that we be changed into what his purpose is for our life. But the first thing we got to do, we have to desire it. We have to hunger for it. See, hunger becomes an initiative that literally launches you into a new place. Because hunger will move you out of the place the comfort zone you're at. And cause you to go out to find something to eat. If you get hungry enough, you'll do just about anything. Amen? If you get thirsty enough, you'll do just about anything to have another meal or another drink of water. So sometimes God 
puts us in a place almost of depravity in order for us to have the desire to change. But I'm praying this, that the Lord don't bring us to the place that we have to lose in order to win. But let us be proactive in seeking change. Let us be a people that are aggressively seeking transformation. Not just simply letting it happen to us because of necessity. But it's happening to us because of our own initiative. Amen. Everybody say initiative. Say, I'm taking the initiative. See, faith is that way, isn't it? Faith without works is dead. So everything you do in faith has to have your initiative behind it in order for it to be activated. If you're expecting a promise to be fulfilled in your life simply because it's owed to you, you probably won't receive it. Because the Bible said if you believe, then you will receive. If you cry out, then you will be heard. If you knock, it'll be open unto you. So keep on knocking, keep on seeking, keep on crying out. Because see, that's when you touch who you are with who he is. And so that who he is can become a part of who you are to fulfill his will in your life. That's how faith works. Faith calls those things as not as though they were. So hunger precipitates this driving faith in each one of us to seek to change. Because listen, if we don't change, we're destined to fail. Because without this, the, the, the willingness and the ability to become this person that God wanted to be, and it says it so beautifully in Luke chapter 5, when he spoke this parable to them in verse 20, 36, no one puts a piece from a new garment on an old one, otherwise the new makes a tear. And also the piece that was taken out of the new does not match the old. And no one puts new wine into an old wineskin. Or else the new wine will burst the wineskins and be spilled. Now, what's the, how does the wineskin work? See, what wine does when wine ferments, it expands. If I miss, I may not be the expert on this, so if you're an expert, correct me. So you put new wine, new wine always has to have time in order for it to become good wine, Right? New wine, I don't, no one wants to drink, and I'm not a wine connoisseur, so I don't know, but I, I, they're always saying on television, I want a 1492 bottle or a 1785, you know, or 1921, but nobody says, give me a 2020 bottle of wine. Nobody seems to want that kind of wine, right? Because new wine needs time in order for it to transition and become expressive and full-bodied and tasteful and satisfying. So no one wants the new wine. So when you've got new wine, you've got to be careful where you put it because you put it in a place that's not been accustomed to something new. It has no place to grow. And it causes the wineskin to burst. Thus it wastes the wine. So the new wine doesn't necessarily mean it's the full expression of wine, yet, yet it's, 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 it denotes to us the 
inception of something great. It's the beginning of something new that over time will manifest itself with full flavor. Amen? Isn't it great how God works in each one of us? That he didn't expect us to be finished the day we got into this thing. He knew that it'd be a process. Maturity is never something that happens overnight. Maturity is always something that takes place over a period of time. By a continued exposure to the thing that creates maturity, causes maturity to happen. The Lord said, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little bit, there a little bit, I bring forth a kingdom that can be revealed. Aren't you glad that you're in the process of maturation? That you're in the process of fermentation? <laughs> that you're in the process that one day you're going to become that sweet-smelling savior, savor under the Lord. That you're going to become that fragrance to the earth. Amen. That everyone's going to say, look at you, I'm going to taste you, and you're going to taste good. Because I see what Christ has done in you. What he's created in you. Now, it doesn't mean it has to be a long, drawn-out process, because maturity is not defined in years the way we define maturity. Maturity is not defined in a certain space. Maturity is defined by your compliance and your willingness to be transformed. You can be matured in the moment of a twinkling of an eye. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You can be transformed from one thing to the next thing as fast as you can say it. Or you could take an eternity to get there. It all depends. Are you willing to be a new wineskin and receive the new wine of the kingdom? So change always begins with desire. And it said, if you drank the old wine, you won't really want the new. Some people are discontent to, to live there in that little tent. They much, but it's their tent. Some of us are happy it's because it's our tent. <laughs> and we, if we looked at it objectively and stood away and looked back at it, we'd say, it really isn't much of a tent. But, but as long as we're in that tent, it's like a mansion. But the Lord said, I've got, a, I've got something greater for you. I'm going to go and I'm going to dwell in a new place. And where I am there, you're going to be with me in my father's house or many mansions. There's many places to live in him. You don't have to live in this earthly, decaying, beat down image of as a human being, you can't, you don't have to live there. You can live with me. You can live in a place that you didn't even believe possible. In my father's house are many mansions and I've gone therefore to prepare a place for you. Amen. So God has a place for all of us to transform to that's better than the place that we're living in. If, but we've got to desire it. We've got to hunger for it. We've got to cry out for it because we say, Lord, there's, there's something better that's coming for all of us. So we have to desire. But then the next thing we have to do, we have to die. And I know that's a pleasant subject. And this isn't a funeral service because in funeral services, I'm far nicer. I'm going to be nice. But death, 
is the pathway to life. It's strange, isn't it? That we can have something that seems to be so final and so devastating and so absolutely terrible that actually it becomes the vehicle that carries us to something greater. When we die, Paul said it, if you die with him, you'll live with him. If you suffer with him, you'll reign with him. So two of the things that none of us want to go through, suffering and death, literally mark the greatest opportunity for life and glory and fulfillment. Amen? How many have ever went through a process of dying over something? If, if, you, if you can't raise your hand, then you're not alive, <laughs> right? You've all died to something in your life. But that's the process of change, isn't it? You see, you see change it starts out when we hear God speak, his word. The Bible said, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of the Lord. So the hearing of the word of the Lord starts us on a pathway of transformation, the first thing we do is we hear. But the mystery of this is that when we usually hear something, we get excited about it. How many get excited when you hear something from the Lord? Hallelujah. Amen. Everybody say, I get excited. And then most of us don't realize that that's God is setting you up. Because in order for that word... To ever actually work in you to bring its fulfillment, it has to die inside of you. Because every seed that's planted in you, and the word is symbolic with the seed, isn't it? Every seed that's planted in you, what does a seed have to go through before it can actually bring forth its fruit? Death. When you put a seed in the ground, what does it do? It dies. It, it ceases to exist the way that it once was. It has to go through a metamorphosis of change. You ask the worm that's crawling around, the caterpillar, and you say, are you excited? Yes, I love being a caterpillar. Well, I, I hate to tell you this, but you're going to die. Why? Why? Because you're going to reveal something more beautiful than you ever believed possible. Most beautiful monarch butterfly is going to come forth out of this old ugly carcass called a caterpillar. I mean, if you've ever seen one beside each other, the caterpillar and the monarch, how could you say that it keeps even the same thing? It has no resemblance. I mean... Nothing is the same. Well, it's the same thing in the Lord, isn't it? When we die, we're transformed to a brand new man that has no resemblance to the man that we used to be. The man that was disobedient. The man that lived for himself. The man that lived in sin. The man that lived in his own will. Now we've been transformed into a creature that the old man wouldn't even recognize because this is a man that lives to comply with the will of God. Lives to serve someone higher than himself, lives to walk in the newness of life. So this death that we, we see, Christ illustrated it to us because here he was a man born in the, 
the Spirit of the Lord came and became flesh among us and dwelt among us. The part that is hard to wrap your head around is that here we had this monarch butterfly inside this earthly caterpillar all along. Here we had the God of heaven. The very nature of God himself was resident in human flesh. And we couldn't see this thing that was in him and so we rejected him. We scorned him. We humiliated him. We beat him. We nailed him to a tree. Because we couldn't see who he really was. He was there all along. And the very thing that that we thought we were accomplishing by killing this man did the opposite of what we thought it would do and what Satan thought it would do. It released the glory of God to the earth. Now Christ himself went through this process because he was a man, 100%, but he was also 100% God. Paradox, isn't it? How could someone be a God and be a man at the same time? I'm going to ask you that question. (laughs) Because all of you that are born again here this morning are both of those things. There's a Christ in you. But you're also a man or a woman that's limited by the very things that men or women are limited by, our flesh. So Christ went through this process and he had to walk through it. But he gave it, he did it not only for himself and for the kingdom of God and for all of us, but he gave us a pathway to follow. He said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He humbled himself and became obedient even to the point of death. So everybody say, this is my mind. And in my mind, I'm like Christ. I'm to humble myself and be obedient even to the point of death. Wow. Why? Because the Lord wants to bring a change in you like you can't believe. And he came to the Garden of Gethsemane before he went to the cross. And during this time of the garden, they were praying. And and he cried out to the Lord and he suffered so much in his old nature, the the nature of the flesh. He said, oh, my God, my God, if it be possible, let this cup Pass from me. And he, he stri- strove so deeply that he sweated drops of blood. And then he finally said, okay, God, nevertheless, let your will be done, not mine. He came to the point of surrender. You see, the first step to change is, to, is not only desire it, to hunger for it, but the next step is to surrender to it. Because it's in the surrendering to it that you experience the death to the old so that now the new can be revealed. There's always a difference. You see, when you're going towards the cross, it seems to be a very daunting uh, proposition because the cross was on a hill. When you're going up one side of the hill towards the cross, Guess what? You can't see the other side. I mean, you have no clue what's on the other side. 
And even when you get closer to the cross, you still can't see the other side because the, the very shadow of the cross itself blocks your view. It's only when you get on the cross that you're finally able to glimpse the other side of what the cross offers to you. But that's where faith comes in. Faith doesn't allow you to see beyond it until you're obedient to it. When you're obedient to it, then you'll begin to see what lies before you. So one side of the cross is bleak, and the other side of the cross, wow, it's awesome. And they said that Jesus, it says in Hebrews chapter 12, that he endured the cross, despising the shame for the glory that was set before him. So it was only when he got on the cross that now he could endure it. Because of the joy that was set before him. All of a sudden, pow! This struggle, this pain, this hardship that he went through just to get to that place. Now it's all worth it because now I can see what it's going to accomplish in my life. It's going to accomplish something that I have not seen nor ear heard nor even entered into my heart. How could I even believe that this place could exist because it's so great? Compared to the place that I've been. So change always leaves you in a far better place than the place that you've been. Because you had to go through the process of change. First you hear. Second, you obey. Third, you yield and submit. Fourth, you climb up on the cross. Fifth, you walk in the fullness of of the freedom of what death accomplished in your life. Because it's only when you die that you're really free. I'm not, you know, I'm not speaking about your physical death. We're we're all wishing to live a long time, right? I'm talking about your heart and how you position your life before the Lord. It's a beautiful principle, isn't it? It's like Abraham. God, God, took Abraham, this man that was living in the Ur of Chaldees, and here he was married to Sarah, and they, they were already getting old. They had no children. And all of a sudden, the voice of the Lord came one day to Abram, before he was called Abraham. He said, Abram, I want you to get up out of Ur of Chaldeans, and I want you to follow me. Well, where are we going? Well, that's, you don't know. You're just going to go. See, oftentimes where you go... And what you wind up, you don't really have a clue. And oftentimes God will lead you and you still don't know. Because there's a process of unfolding that must take place over a period of time, just like that wine that ferments in that new wineskin. So Abraham got up and he followed the Lord. And he went, he went out to a place that he did not know where he was going. And the Lord said to him in verse 12 of Genesis, get out of your country from your kindred, from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. Then I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I'll make your name great. You shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse them who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And because of Abraham's faith and courage 
to step out in his unwavering resolve to follow God, we all today are children of that faith. Abraham is a father in the house of the Lord because he led the example that in order to go to the promised land, in order to go to the place that God has, in order to go to the fulfillment, there must be a willingness upon our part to follow the Lord without question, without hesitation. There's got to be a courage in us, a faith that says, yes, we will, so that, Lord, you can. Yes, we will, Lord, so, Lord, you can. Lord, we will give everything. We will die. We will follow. We will obey so that we can receive. Now, what's the final deal? The thing you get out of all of this is that you get to receive the new. Amen? See, Jesus is the, is the answer. If we just keep trying to put a patch on the old garment, if we just try to keep our tent supported under the underpass so that we can all say, this is our tent, and we love our tent, and we'll never let go of our tent, if we just keep doing that, then we're doomed to always live in a tent that really is not as impressive as we think it is. But if we follow the Lord the way Abraham did, then we're, we're going to live in a house that's we're clothed from heaven, that descends from heaven, a house not built with the hands of men, but by, built by the very word of the Lord that creates a place of dwelling. Amen? So 2020, what's your resolve? What's your goal? You going to join the gym? You going to quit? You going to quit uh, chewing? <laughs> Are you going to quit? You going to start resisting chocolate chip cookies? Cookies? No, no, we're not. We're not going to go that far, Lord. We're not, give me a break. What are you going to do? Call Ghostbusters? No. What are you going to do in 2020? You're going to position yourself so that you can be a place that the Lord dwells. That he can transform you. That he can work through you. That he can express through you like you've never seen before. Because you're going to desire this. You're going to hunger for it. You're going to thirst for it. You're going to walk with God even to the point if you have to crawl up there with him on that place that he was nailed to the cross so that you can begin to see the other side. Believe me, the view is far better from on top of the mountain than on the mountain that's been shadowed. The mountain's been shadowed. It's far better on the top because then on the top you can see the sunrise. You can see the breaking of a new day. You can see the dawning of a new day. You can see the dawning of the kingdom in your life. You can begin to see something that's so expressive that will confound everything that you've ever seen before. You know, Caleb said in Joshua, they entered into the promised land. There's only two out of the spies that gave a good report and all the rest of them were fearful. But Caleb, it said, was a man with a different spirit. He had a spirit that would not quit in the midst of adversity. He would not pull away or back down nor give up, but he was consistent saying, Lord, let your 
kingdom come or let your promised land be revealed to his people. And it was, it was amazing. They had to all go through this circumcision, circumcision to all the new males before they could cross the River Jordan. And it's the same as we as the body of Christ. We must have our hearts circumcised. We must be willing to go through the water of baptism of death in order to walk in the newness of life and the freedom that God has for us. 2020, your best year ever. Your year of resurrection. Your year of unparalleled expressions of God's glory upon your life because you've been willing to reach in for the new, been willing to follow the Lord. Wherever thou leadest, Lord, I will follow. Wherever thou goest, I will go. Amen. These are the ones that overcome him, it says in the book of Revelation. They love not their own lives, even unto death. And they follow the lamb wherever he goest. These are the ones who overcame. Amen. Let's all stand together in the name of the Lord. Let your kingdom come. Let